Okay, here we go, here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Thanks for coming to Kirby's surprise birthday party. Happy birthday to you. That's right. That's right. She's 35. Congratulations. No, she wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord God, who's promised to grant all that we pray in the name of your Son, teach us to pray aright, to praise you with all your saints in the fullness of life everlasting through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, good to see you. I know I lost out. I mean, Mother's Day. It's hard to compete with Mother's Day. I know there's a lot of stuff going on, but the, you know, the downside, I mean, the, the upside of people being away today is there were a lot of whole families who showed up at church for the sake of their mothers, so there were a lot of happy mothers. That was nice. So... Uh, I can see. I see. There was some. There was some. There were some good faces who came in today. And and one of the one of the, that was as happy downstairs as it's you know as it's ever been. Uh, and it's really nice. I mean, you could just. It was nice. It was nice. You see, it was really interesting. Families together in one place at church. It was like this big sigh of relief, and everybody was really happy. It was. It was nice downstairs. That's uh, so. It was good. Everybody okay? So we've got a couple of weeks left, and then we'll have, um, you know, then we'll move into summer stuff. So we've got a couple of weeks left on this particular topic, things to talk about. But I just want to, I gave you a single sheet. That was the bit from now, and I just wanted to read that just, and then we'll go into the next thing, which is this very interesting story of Nicodemus. But this thing from, from Henry Nouwen, you know, one of the great things about St. John's, we're, we're, we've busted out of the mold of thinking that, you come to church just to try to keep from going to hell. The sermon was very good about this today as well, which is we come here because we learn to live in a way that is unnatural to us. And that, uh, Pastor Bukes and I each saw that article by David Brooks independently. Now, it's really interesting. He's, he writes for the New York Times. It's a very liberal newspaper. He writes on the editorial page, but he's a conservative guy. So what's very interesting is that he writes, people read him to figure out how to think. This is very interesting. So he gave this interview last week, or whenever he gave it, it was published last week, but he gave this interview, he's written a new book, where he basically talks about morals, which is not, that is a, that is a taboo topic for the New York Times in many cases. And uh, he actually says about himself, people ask him about his private life, and he said, well, my, my private life's a bit fragile. That's how he described it. Now, that's, the, that's how people describe things when, they're not, when there's not a lot of maturity involved with it, Right? Um, so that's how Jesus talks too. So it says, and but he's nevertheless written a book on moral things uh, or you know ethical things, which is just startling because you would think if uh, you know several million people open a newspaper to read what you have to write to guide them on what we should do with Israel and the Palestinians, you know how we should proceed in the next presidential election, you would think that those would be exactly the people who would have their you know, their moral compass firmly set. So it's very interesting to see a guy who's brave enough to say, this is kind of new ground for me. It was just so interesting. He's a, he's a, he's a Jewish man. I don't know if he's uh, practicing or not. But I'm, I'm really interested to read the book, actually, now to see what he's got to say. So anyway, that kind of goes with... But the point of this is, you know, as, as Pastor Bukes, you know said, is, you know, it doesn't come, this, doesn't come, this life doesn't come naturally to us. And so because it doesn't come naturally, then often people think about the church in terms of, I just go to church to stay out of hell. And I kind of calculate 
how many times would I have to go to church every year to stay out of hell? Apparently the answer is Christmas and Easter. So, um, you, you know, uh, so, so what are the, you know, what the, but the good news about this is, is that, you know, we're, we're sort of way past this. And this is now in this quote from now. We live our lives as missions. And so, you know, remember we quoted to you several times over the past few years, J.K. Smith, um, you know, we don't have an apologetic. That is, we don't have an argument for coming to church. We are an apologetic. So we live in a particular way, and then people want to come to church, right? So we live our lives as missions. We become aware that there's a home from where we are sent and to where we will return. So you know, you're just here a little while. You're going to live you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. You know, eternity is a long time. You, one of the interesting things about you is you, know, you start at a particular point, but you never have an end. right? Unlike God, who doesn't have any end points. You have one end point, but you just keep going. And so Mother's Day, the really interesting thing about you who have had children is that you're a co-creator with God or a con-creator, however you want to talk about it. But, you know, you're a con-creator of a person who will live forever, right? And it's extraordinarily important that you pay attention to that. So you start to think about your life not in terms of this turned inwardness, oh, geez, I hope I don't go to hell or I'll go to church just so I don't go to hell. You start to say to yourself, wow, I'm, I'm lost and I'm not sure I know the way home. And if I see the way home, I see that, it, that, that it's actually a way home. It actually defines how I live right now. And it'd be great to take my family along with me on the way home. So that you have to understand that this time isn't lost. So this time isn't lost. So one of the great things about you know, being downstairs with you today is, you think that's coffee hour? That's heaven on earth. I mean, that is people being kind to each other. That's accepting strangers. That's watching over little kids. It's taking responsibility for each other. It's minding our tongues. It's pushing forward for other people. By the way, we're giving money to Russia, are we not? You thought I would forget just because I forgot so many other times, right? Yes, okay, extrapolation from a small base. It's a basic philosophical error. Okay, so, um, you know, you think, I mean, this whole notion that, that somehow the church is just fire insurance is utter nonsense. You know, we're on the way somewhere. And where, where we're on the way to is to be restored, to be fully human, to be what you were meant to be, to be, you know, what Adam was and what Eve was. That's what you're meant to be. And, you know, this whole notion of just sort of settling so that you don't, you know, go straight to hell and we'll scare you into that is utter nonsense in the sense that that's all there is to the Christian life because that's utterly focused in. And anything that focuses in just works in a loop and it doesn't do anything for anybody, even for you, okay? So we live our lives as missions. We become aware there's a home from which we're sent and to where we will return. We start thinking about ourselves as people who are in a faraway country. This is why, you know, so worked up about, you know, America and is it the new Israel and how we're going to be and blah, blah, blah. Heaven on earth is not a country. Heaven on earth is first the person of Jesus. Destroy this temple in three days and I'll build it up. And after that, it is the church, you know. What he referred to was the temple of his body and you are the body of Christ or don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? So, I mean, it doesn't belong to anything political. This is why, for all the political things that happen, it's going to run for and against the church. It's going to make it harder and easier for us. But we are not identical to what happens in any government or country. And I'll just be real honest with you. I'm, I mean, I can say this because there's very few of you left who could, you don't have enough votes in the voters meeting to bust me anymore. But, you know, I was the guy who sent the American flag and the Methodist Sunday school flag out for cleaning, and somehow they got lost, okay? <laughs> but it still rankles me when I walk into a church, you know, like I did a few weeks ago, and there's an American flag, you know, inside the rail. I'm like, really? That really? That's really. 
Those are identical. They're not even close to being identical, right? So, I mean, there's another home from which we come, Eden. That's not to be anti-American or anti-military or anti-anything else. It's just to say, don't confuse your categories, right? So, you know, Jesus, the, America is not the chosen people. The church is the chosen people. Israel is the chosen people. Christ is the chosen people, right? Don't, you know, don't, don't confuse your categories, because otherwise you end up hating other people, and you end up using the church for harm against them, right? And the church doesn't do harm. Good Friday, right? The church dies before it does harm. So we start thinking about ourselves as people who are in a faraway country to bring a message or work on a project, but only for a certain amount of time. Count your days. Count your days. You might want to make goals at your birthday. How could I be nicer to my husband? How could I be? I mean, just some to think a few things. Other pastors are available for counsel. Okay, so um, just teasing, just kidding. We've been married a long time. I can say stuff like that. Okay, okay, good for you, good for me. When the message has been delivered and the project is finished, we want to return home and give an account of our mission and rest from our labors. Here's the thing. Do you read Matthew 25 that way? I mean, you read Matthew 25, everybody reads 20, oh, the sheep and the goats, oh, I'm going straight to hell, oh, what's this going to be? And then Jesus turns to you and says, hey, man, by the way, thanks for coming to see me when I was in prison. I wish I could have made bail, right? Jesus is a clever guy. You're like, I don't saw you in prison. He's like, oh, yeah, I mean, thanks for feeding me when I was really hungry. Thanks for giving that money to Russia, you know, because, you know, I was in Russia. You might not have known, but the money got to me. I mean, Jesus is hilarious. He's He's much more fun than you expect because you went to Sunday school and a lot of people went like this. But Jesus never does that because he knows like the Blessed Virgin Mother told him. When he does this, he's got three pointing back at him, right? This is basic theological stuff. Okay, one of the most important spiritual disciplines is to develop the knowledge that the years of our lives are years on a mission. So you begin to think about yourself as, you know, at work for somebody else, right? which is exactly what Mary did. This is just kind of finishing up this last thing. This is a remarkable word that in the Greek word uses the word angel for Mary. Now, you know, it's this messenger word, but it is fascinating that this is the word that's used in Mary Magdalene, right? She is sent to the church to her fellow disciples. We read this. So go back and tell those guys who apparently can't pay attention long enough to hang around the tomb, right? This is, this is the great elevation of women in so many ways around the Christmas and Easter stories. The primary movers are, are women. It's very interesting. Go back and tell them she was sent to be an angel, angelusa, says the Greek, of the imminent new realm of grace, of holiness of the Spirit, of the relationship with the Father and with one another in Jesus. She is to proclaim its advent and by implication its beauty. There it is. And that's it, man. This is supposed to be a beautiful community, an irresistible Eucharistic community. The goal is to make this place irresistible, not by smoke and mirrors, but because you can get in this place which you can't get many other places where people are going to love you no matter what you are. I mean, we prefer you're not a jerk. And, you know, I'd prefer not to be a jerk too, but frankly, you know, two, maybe three days a week, I come to work and I'm a jerk. So your job, I mean, is to love me out of it, preferably between 7, 4, and 8 o'clock before I get started answering messages. I mean, this is how the world works, you know? So when you walk in and you're a jerk, I'm like, hey, buddy, good to see you, secret handshake. It's great, okay? You know, so when people come in and they're having a bad day, you know, don't, don't get all Matthew 18 all over them. It's like some days you just got to play on, okay? You just, a little foot wedge back out, and hit to the green. All right, here we go. In her, we see the church's mission. This is in Mary Magdalene, right? So in her, right, here's another woman who's, a, who's an example of 
You know, and you thought she just had seven demons. No, no, she's an example of the church's mission. In her, we're called to enter the church ever more deeply. Here, how about this? So through unfaithful people, through, through um, people who think they've got it all wrong, through people who are all mixed up, through people who are weeping, right? People who could, they wouldn't know Jesus if he walked in and stood in front of them. Those are the people through whom you enter the church. Isn't that interesting? In all sorts of different ways, from being kind to them, to helping them, to discovering, to your great surprise, that sometimes they know more about things than you do. It's amazing stuff. So, in her, we're called to enter the church even more deeply, so as to be the church and show forth the beauty of Christian being. See, the thing is, if it's not beautiful, it's not Christian being. The last word's a private confession. Go and fulfill the beauty he would work in you for others. The very last line of private confession. Go and work the beauty that he would work in you for others. So a beautiful thing, but for the gift of others, right? Christian brotherhood, Christian life, Christian prayer. Of all that Christ's ascension has brought to mankind, it's the week of ascension coming up Thursday. We are called to go to the brethren. By the way, at the gospel reading, if we remember, vicar, wherever you are, remember. So you remember that now the Paschal candle, so it comes in at the vigil. The candle is Jesus. Before I die, seriously, serious business, before I die. Maybe you won't, maybe if I did this, you wouldn't even, like maybe you'd just be like, hey, why didn't you do that before? But, you know, technically, when the pastor, Joel, let the priest ascend weeping as he comes to the altar of the Lord. So we confess our sins and we weep over what we've done and gradually God dries your tears as you come to the altar. And properly, when you see your mother today at Mother's Day, what are you going to do? What's the first thing you're going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> okay, that's, some people are going to say they're sorry. You're correct. But for normal people who say haven't been in prison in the last 24 hours, uh, what are you going to do? See your mother. What's your mother want you to do? Give her a hug and a? Yeah, right. So, so you kiss your mother, and the church is my mother. So if I came to the church and I went to the altar and I kissed the altar, you'd just say, look, he's kissing his mother. Properly, you've seen the priest greets the altar by kissing it. Why? Because the altar is Christ. You know, that might be the full next church. We'll see what happens. Maybe when I meet the rule of 85 and my pension is all the way in, I might have a go at that, okay? So, because you, you never know what could happen around here. So the thing is, is, you know, what you, the, 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 we said at Easter, remember, we touched it, we traced the Alpha and Omega, the beginning of this, his or time and eternity, we traced 2015 on there. So, and then we take it and we put the candle by the altar. Pay attention. Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, what will happen on Thursday, and then we'll do it on Sunday because we're going to translate the feast, at the reading of the gospel, where it says he ascended into heaven, the proper thing is at that moment to put the candle out. Jesus is not here. It's so sad. But, of course, the joke's on you. When you come back, where will the candle be? By the font. Some little kid to me, four-year-old, says to me, like, no lie, Look, walk, I'm next to the font. This little kid goes, where's Jesus? I'm like, all right. <laughs> all right, man. Because it's like the candle should be here, and the candle's up there. So why is the candle that should be here? Why is it up there? Well, because, pay attention, Jesus is risen from the dead. So you get about 50 days to think about that. And then from now on, if you want to find Jesus, where do you find him? In the font, in the water. He's swimming in the water. Um, Ignatius, no. Irenaeus, we're like little fishes swimming after the big fish. All the Baptists in town that had that fish on the back, that's from Irenaeus, and it's all about infant baptism. It's so great. Every time I see one, I'm like, 
Way to go. You're one of us and you don't even know it. See, that's, that's irony. It's like little fishes, we stay in the water. As long as we stay in the water, we'll be safe. Like little fishes, we follow the big fish. I'm like, yeah. So we bring the Paschal candle. Jesus is in the font. And then, of course, Jesus at the altar. Why? Because, um, because there's crosses there, Jesus there. And then when we read from the Gospel book, we kiss it. Why? Because that's how you show respect to your master. Remember we did this? You know, this is how you show respect is to give him a kiss. So, I mean, that's all going on in the service. So, Christ's ascension is brought to mankind. We're called to go to the brothers, carrying in ourselves. I bear in myself the wounds of Christ, says Paul. Carrying in ourselves. You carry the name, the gospel today. Whatever you pray in my name, whatever you pray in your baptism, God will give you anything you pray in the name. Right? Or Paul, I carry the wounds of Jesus in my flesh. It's a great, great text. Or today you'll be given the Eucharist. And you'll go out into the world and you'll carry the Eucharist around wherever you go. My advice to you, let them out. Let them out. The body and blood are screaming to get out of you. Let them out this week. Don't, don't just, you know, you know, just kick the door open and let them have a go. All right? We're called to go to the brother and carry in ourselves, in our eyes, in our ears, is going to the Father. So the primary point is your orientation toward the end, right? So now when we're on the way, and this is Dom Hugh Gilbert interesting guy. He was an abbot, um, and I think they tried to press him two or three times to be, I think, the bishop or archbishop of London. He's like, eh, I don't think that's for me. Very interesting. You know, when you see a guy who says, I don't want to be bishop, that's a guy you pay attention to. My Latin, I can't remember. Nolo Episcoparme, I think. Augustine, when they wanted to make him bishop, he hid. The crowd got him. And I think to the cry of Nolo Episcoparme, Man, I don't want to be the bishop. Why would you want to be the bishop? It's like being one long voters meeting your whole life. That is, that is stupid work. So, uh, you know, forget that, man. Let's have some fun. Let's have donuts downstairs. It's great. So, you know, but you live your whole life. You know you're on the way, and you can sort of see the end. So you remember all these studies about the stress that kills you, right? When, you, when, you have, when you're at something, your medical school, doing a PhD, or when you're trying to pass the bar, or you've got a ri- the stress that kills you, is the stress you can't see the end of. That is the, that is the stress that makes you crumble and actually kills you. But when you can see the end of it, when tax season is going to be over, when you're going to pass the bar, when you get through the CPA exam, when you finally walk and get your colors for a PhD, when you finally get a promotion, the stress you can see the end of, that's, that actually is the kind of stress that actually makes you perform better. Okay, so what's the point? The point is you can see the end. We're on the way. You can see the end. The end is your death date, or Jesus coming first, whichever happens, you know. You know, whichever happens first, that's, that's your end date. So your whole life is lived back to front. You're looking out saying, not, oh, how could I avoid falling into the fire and brimstone? That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, I'm on the way. How can I help others on the way? How can I bring others on the way? Why? Because that's where we're going, and that's beautiful. That's it. That's where we're going. This is the Eucharistic life. And so you say to yourself, you live all your life back to front. You're out there looking at that saying, I can't be destroyed, and you let that wash back over you and you say, now what would life look like now because I know that's where I'm going? That's the whole point of the Christian life, and anything else is a fraud. It's, it's diminished. The point of the Christian life is to have heaven on earth. That's why at the Eucharist, it's as close as you can get. You know the famous story of when the, when the Russians were casting around for... Uh, no. Um, it's not the Bulgarians. I always get corrected. Anyway, these folks come in about 1,000 A.D., and they're looking for their new, um, 
their new king has sent them to find a religion. They go to, the, they go to different places, and they visit here, and they visit there, and, they, and then they come to the Russians. And they said, when we went into the liturgy, it was heaven on earth. And they become, that's how the whole Eastern bit becomes orthodox again, right? So you say to yourself, this is heaven, the point is to create heaven on earth. I know it doesn't come naturally. The whole sermon today is about it doesn't come naturally. That's the reason we kneel down and say, you know, we're big jerks. Uh, I'm poor, miserable sinner. That's the reason we say that, because it doesn't come naturally. You just want to say it out loud so that everybody knows the ground rules. It doesn't come naturally, right? And I'd like to do better. I'd like to leave that behind. Jesus says, okay, let's have another go. And frankly, you know, the third commandment about going to church every week, about a week is as long as you can go. In fact, some of you, you know, just a day, right? I mean, that's why it's here every day. I mean, about a week is, you know, about a week is the, is the maximum amount you can go without so much stuff stacking up that you are either going to have to rent a dump truck or go to, the, go, to the, go to the Eucharist, one of the two. All right, so it's right here. We're called, and of course he's writing to monks, to a monastic community, to live in the heart of the church and by our lives proclaim the new covenant's fullness of grace. Okay? So that's what we're trying to do. So just this last bit, let, just read it quickly. I know from misery to mission... So, you know, it's so many churches you go in and you're just, they're just flipping miserable. I mean, I go in churches now and I, you know, one of my besetting sins is I have such a low tolerance for churches that could be so much more. It's probably a bad thing, you know, but I go in and I'm just thinking to myself, just do the liturgy, man. You are not smarter than 4,000 years of church history, 52 times a year. You're just not that good. It's hubris. It's hubris for pastors to think that they can be better than 4,000 years of church history 52 times a year. Instead, you live from the collected wisdom. And when you don't do that, it's not just that it's not good, it's that you cheat everybody around you. I'm not enough, as I've told you before, dear Kurt Vonnegut, you know, my wife divorced me because I wasn't enough people for her, right? I'm not enough pastor for you. I, I just cannot meet every one of your needs. I don't know enough stuff. You know, I'm lucky I get my shoes tied some days, okay? So here's the thing. I don't have enough in me to meet all, but, but you know what does have enough in it? The liturgy. Because it's from all nations all over the place over the course of two or three or four thousand years. I mean, peace be with you and also with you. That's all the way back to Ruth and Boaz. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Lord have mercy, that's Psalms. Come on. When you come to the liturgy, it's Jesus going boom, 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 boom. It's bigger than all of us. So it's not dependent on me. It's like do the liturgy, boom, 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 do it well, but do it. Because we're on the way, and every one of you has all different needs now from last week. And so the liturgy loves you individually. There's a peace for all different kind of people. I know you don't like every bit of it. Maybe you don't like every bit of it. I get that, right? I know there's some of you still wince at the incense or maybe, you know. I mean, I can, t- I can remember vividly. You all had a cross in the previous. You remember you had a cross in the previous place? But it, where, where was the cross in the previous place, the processional cross? Where was it? On the wall, right. Did it ever move? No, it didn't move. You know why? And Pastor Lesh told me this. It was a great. I mean, Lesh was good to me when I came. I met with him a couple of times, and you know, he was ill, and you know, he sort of gave me a lot of dirt on all of you, and um, you know. Uh, but I said, I said to him, I said, you got that cross there? It's very nice. I said, you never use it. He says, oh yeah. He says, he said, he said, but I, he said, I did have an encounter with somebody. He said, we used it once. He said, it just beats me down, kind of. He said, he said, I used it once. And then a guy came to me and he said, he said, it offends me when you use the processional cross. And, and he said, Pastor Lesh, I mean, a little sassy for a guy so gentle. He said, you know what? It offends me when we don't. And I'm like, that is a very interesting answer, okay? 
So you gotta remember, when we're all in it together, it's like Mother's Day. You're gonna sit down at Mother's Day today, here's what's gonna happen. Your brother is gonna mix his corn and his mashed potatoes. Now here's the thing, everybody knows that food mixing is against Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God put things in order and he'd make a corn tato grow if he wanted your brother to mix the corn. And the ma- there are people who are just crazy in life, okay? Play on, okay? Just put some gravy on it and play on. Because, you know, it just says, why ruin your Mother's Day? If you, just because people do crimes against nature, okay? So, I can't, I'm not a food mixer, okay? I don't understand you food mixers. I don't understand. I'm related to some. I still don't understand. Followed closely by food sharers. What kind of a person would say, after you say, do you want any fries? One minute later, oh, sorry, that was involuntary. One minute later would say, can I have some of your fries? You're not through the, you're not through the drive-thru in one minute at McDonald's. It's like, did, what kind of a person? Your people, that's who, okay? So this is what the church is all about. The church is gathering these people in. And this whole year, I mean, we've got to sort of wrap up. we only got about two weeks of this. But here's the point. The point is, all these people who don't look like you, they're you. They're part of your gig, okay? They're your family. And this is another thing about the church. You don't get to choose. Guess what? All kinds of people are going to come in that aren't going to look like you. And Jesus chose them so you don't get to. And faith agrees, so if Jesus chose them, you get to do them too. So, you know, I suppose that means I have to mix vegetables and eat them today, but I'm not going to like it that much, okay? So I'm just telling you. Every day, every day, this is the reason you have daily devotions, we need to be turned back to our mission, right? Every day. Every day we need to be turned from living in our minds from, and here it is, we did this last week. This is logismois, being captive to your own thoughts, from our subjective assessments. Every day we need to be turned basically away from our likes and dislikes. The church doesn't like on your dislikes. It doesn't run on your dislikes and my dislikes. The church doesn't run on what we think. The church runs on what Jesus likes and what Jesus thinks from interpretations not of God, right? So how often do people get broken down in the church because somebody says, thus says the Lord, but the Lord didn't really say it. And you remember that the penalty for that in the Old Testament is stoning. If you stand up and say you're a prophet and you say, thus says the Lord, and it doesn't happen, really people will just take you out and stone you, okay? From meaningless miseries, every day we need to be turned back to our mission to the priority of seeking holiness in daily work and daily prayer in the heart of the church. Get up, go to the Eucharist, be forgiven, say your prayers, go about your business, have some fun, life is wonderful, right? And if it's not wonderful, repent of it. And do it all again. And every day it can happen because, as Garrick says again, what he did corporally, what Jesus did corporally, so t- all together on Easter Day, he does not cease to do spiritually day by day. What he did in the flesh on Easter, he doesn't seek to do by the Spirit day by day. So the Holy Spirit's going to come in Pentecost two weeks from today. And what Jesus did in the flesh, the Spirit does in the Spirit as your advocate and your friend. It just keeps going. Every day he says my name and calls you back to my true self. What's your true self? Your true self is your baptized self. He calls you back to be fully human. He calls you back to be all you were meant for. He calls you not to be curved in on yourself. He calls you, as Luther would say, to love God and serve your neighbor. Right? He calls you back to a wonderful communal life away from logismoi. Every day he comes with a word and himself. 
right, as a word. Emmaus wrote, he speaks to them. And in the breaking of the bread, he was revealed to them. He gives himself to them in the Eucharist. Every day he comes with the word in himself, the liturgy of the word of the Eucharist, Lectio, reading the Bible every day, prayer. Every day he says, go to my brothers. Every day I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. Now see, this is so interesting. This is just like giving you the Our Father. Lord, teach us to pray. He says, when you pray, say Our Father. He's like, what? Like Our Father, you know, my Father and your Father. So Jesus takes you as his brother or his sister, right? Our Father. And now what's he say? Hey, it's not just me. It's everybody else too. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church, one creed. Boom, right here it is. Go to my brothers every day. I'm ascending to my father and to your father. His last words on earth. I'm a father, I'm ascending to, don't touch me. I'm, I'm busy working here. I'm busy working. The ball game's on. I'm busy working here, okay? My father and your father. We have the same one. My God and your God. We have the same one. That glorious thing. You go back and tell the others. Swoop it up together. It's just, this is just beautiful stuff, right? This is what the church is meant to be. All right, how you doing? You still okay? Just questions about any of that? I could just keep going. I love this. I mean, I love this. This is the church. That other thing is not the church. It's a fake church. It's a convenient church. That's not the church. The church is every last thing you've got is drawn into service of Christ. Every last thing, all day, all the time. Boom, that's what it is. Okay? That's the church. You doing okay? All right, then we got a problem. Oh, we got know-it-alls in our midst. Turn to, this is next, okay, John 3, you got it? This is, I mean, you know people like this, so I just thought we should do one more, because we've had people who have denied Jesus, we've had people who have been wandered away, we've had people who didn't know, we've had people who said, it's too hard, but now you've got a guy who says, hey, I know a lot and it's not too hard. It's very interesting what Jesus does to him, so this is John 3. There was a man of the Pharisees, so the Pharisees are, you know, they run the show, right? They're rich, they're favored, um... They're powerful. They make judgments. There was a man named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. It's so interesting that he comes by night. Now, initially, you don't exactly know what that means. There's a couple things that could be happening at night. One is you finally get some rest and you can read a little bit, although we've seen other times when people are reading in the shade under a tree. But that can be Sabbath day work as well. He comes to Jesus by night. It could be he doesn't want anybody to see him. It could be that's when Jesus has come free because he's working so hard. It's a little bit ambiguous, but by night is, yeah, just something going on there. And he said to him, Rabbi, this respectful way, but you know people can say Mr. President in a respectful way or a disrespectful way, right? Rabbi, hey, we know that you're a teacher come from God. So this is, you know, the classic Middle Eastern and also, you know, way around here, you know. You don't say things just... You know, you don't tell, I mean, one of, the, one of the amazing things about civilization, it's very hard for civilization to work if you tell people the truth, right? You got to kind of, you got to bump and nudge them and round off the edges and lure them in. And it feels uh, sometimes like you need a shower when you're done doing that. So, and this is kind of what's happening here. He's like, hey, we know you come from God. If you know he comes from God, come during the day and make a big confession, right? I mean, I got, I'm a skeptic here, but nevertheless, we should try to love him. We know that you're a teacher come from God. Nobody can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now that ups the ante a little bit because signs are things that point at another thing and people who can do miracles are always really interesting, right? Okay, we know nobody can do this unless God is with him. Jesus answered by not answering. And this is such an interesting thing. This is how, you know, in a political campaign when you ask people a question and they give you the answer that they want to give you. 
You ask him one question, they give you an answer. Jesus, I mean, way to go. It's like the trib is right there and you're not paying any attention. Jesus answered him, Hey, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, now that's not common language, and it seems uh, biologically difficult, especially on Mother's Day, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, Hey, how does that work? One, I'm old. If I'm old, how can I be born again? How could man be born again when he's old? Two, um, I'm big and that's small, and how does that, you know, full grown and going back, and how can, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Right? So it's just 3 5. Jesus answered, Truly, true, I say to you, so this is classic Hebrew stuff where you give the same answer again and again. If you read the book of Revelation, it goes in swirls, for example. There are three big swirls in Revelation. Everybody thinks it's about. Everybody thinks it's about, you know, doing this and knocking people into the lake of fire. Revelation is three liturgies. It goes around in a circle three times. Boom. Boom. Comes back to get you. And then the last time it puts you right before the throne. All that stuff about fire and brimstone is just kind of incidental to things like in the middle where the souls are under the altar and they're praying for people down on earth because they realize how much you suffer and they love you so much. Which does make you wonder then about, you know, this whole notion about praying to saints. Holy cow. The district office, my ordination date was 85, and I'm full blast Missouri Senate guy. But nevertheless, I mean the saints, right? There it is in the text. It says that they're looking down and they're praying for you. Right? Very interesting. That people who go ahead and who go ahead of you pray for you. I mean, it's right there. That's what they do because they're worried about you. It's kind of nice. Somebody praying for you. So, you know, how can you do that? I can't. Yeah, Jesus said, you know, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. So he gives the same answer in a different way. So now you have a different answer. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born of water and the Spirit. Swings around. And then he sort of says, you know, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of Spirit is Spirit. Now it's getting more complicated. Now still more complicated. Verse 7, don't marvel that I said to you, you have to be born again. It's like, hey, I've got something you may, I might have thought of something you didn't think of before. Right? This is like with your kids, right? Hey, maybe I, maybe I thought of something you didn't think of. Right? The wind blows where it wills. Now, now you have wind. So, you know, you think you know stuff about wind and you don't know anything about wind. You think you know about the spirit. You don't know anything about the spirit. You think you know stuff about being born. You don't know anything about being born. You think you know about being a Pharisee, about believing in Yahweh. You don't know anything about this. And, you know, you got to, I mean, it's like Linda Blair right now. I mean, Nicodemus had a spinning on his shoulders like, what's going on here, Right? The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes. You don't know where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. What does that mean? Nicodemus said to him, how? Which is really interesting because you look around in the Scriptures, Jesus almost never, ever, ever answers how. Jesus will answer what he's doing to you. What is that, body and blood? Why are you doing that? The forgiveness of my sins? Where are we going? Well, the Son of Man must go up to Jerusalem and be crucified. Really interesting. How is the, it's the answer that Jesus chooses not to give. And so see if you can find one where he, when, they, when people say to him, how does this work? Part of it is, is it's not your business. Because as soon as you tell, as soon as he tells you how, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're going to give some good advice. You're going to change it. You're going to tweak it a little bit because, hey, you and my wife, you know, right? I mean, hey, and could I play too? Because I got some advice I'd like to give the baby Jesus, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So if he tells you how, one is you're going to try to change it right away, and two is your head will probably blow right off your shoulders because you can't uh, comprehend the mind of God, apprehend the mind of God, comprehend the mind of God. Jesus answered him, hey, you're supposed to be a Sunday school teacher. Aren't you a Sunday school teacher in Israel? And you don't understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, this is why nobody goes to your church. You don't know anything. No, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. People talk about what they know. And we bear witness to what we have seen. So we point at things, you know, we talk about things that we think we know. We point at what we've seen. But you did not receive our testimony. Guess what? I'm just like you. I've just seen more stuff, says Jesus. I'm pointing at things. I've seen things you haven't seen. I'm pointing at things you didn't even know existed. This is great. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe them, so you can't even explain how the wind blows. So how do you explain how the spirit blows? I mean, if you can't just get the basic, you know, weatherman kind of stuff down, how can you get the Holy Spirit stuff down? How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, and then the, the big answer, but cryptic, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven. So basically, Jesus says, I'm here to give you the answer, and then later, I'm going to disappear. The Son of Man, and then this classic thing, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you remember the snake on the pole? People are kind of sassy, and they have a bad voters meeting, and then Moses says, I quit, and then the Lord says, let me help you, and then he sends the fiery serpents to bite people. You remember this, right? And they're dying one by one, they say, oh, reverse the vote! You remember how this works, right? And then... Um, so Moses makes the snake and he puts it on a pole and if you look at it, it's the antidote, it's the cure. You see, you know, the contact with the, with the cross, the snake on a pole. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him has eternal life. And then this glorious explanation of this, that God loved you even before you knew who God was. God loved the world. He gives his Son. Believe in him so you don't perish, so it's not like a snake bite. So, you know, we're going to go through that next week kind of bit by bit. But it is, and, and I, I don't want to be too, I look back at some other stuff over the years I've written on Nicodemus. And there have been years when I've been hard on him and years when I've been easier on him. And maybe that had to do something with my mood or where we were. Or I don't want to be too hard on Nicodemus. Um, he's actually come to Jesus and he's, he's brave enough to ask questions and he admits what he doesn't know and he tries to figure it out. On the other hand, there is a little bit of this sense of, and we do this too, we try to cut Jesus down to size. You know, we try to keep him from taking us places we don't want to go. We kind of trim him so that, so that he fits into our picture, right? And just that, there's just none of that in the scriptures. I mean, you get him full blaster, you get him not at all. And see, that's, that's part of the fun here. I mean, part of the fun over our years together is, you know, when you're kind of together for a good long time, one of the fun things is, is, at some point, you come to a meeting of the minds, and we can all kind of see where we are. And that then gives us the possibility of doing something really good all together in the future. And when I visit other... Yeah, I should be kind of careful here. Sometimes when I go places, I see, I see things that impede, that will impede a place from ever doing any good. If you're always arguing about the budget, if you're always arguing about the liturgy, if you're always... You know, if pastors and people are always at, if you're about this and this and this, if you're always about the ancillary things, right? If you're, always, if you're always distracted, you can't work on the primary thing, which is to deliver the love of Jesus Christ to each other and to the entire world. So you just can't be distracted at some point. This is what maturity means. At some point when Jesus says, you've got to grow up from milk to meat, 
You know, and that's in Hebrews when Jesus talks that way through, you know, when you've got to grow up, part of growing up is you've got to take on bigger problems. And if you always act like a kid, you'll always be a kid. I mean, you've seen this in your old family. You can think brothers, sisters, cousins. You always have people who are acting like kids. You get together at a holiday, they act like children, sometimes even on Mother's Day. Makes you want to smack them, doesn't it? It does. You want to smack them like kids. So, I mean, the thing is, is if we can all sort of grow up together and get it figured out, then this wonderful world opens up in front of us that's not about us. It's all about Christ and about other people. Love God, serve your neighbor. What does they say to Jesus? What's the law? The Pharisees come to Jesus. What's the law? The law is, what's the greatest law? Love God. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, well, got to go. Love you. Lord, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. Happy Mother's Day. It's a great day in the church. See ya.